0: Matthew chapter 11, there we are. All right, picked up a phone, it's not mine. Okay. Travis called me Thursday, said I'm sick, and I said, good, you'll be better by Sunday. I was wrong. And so, instead of uh, doing Hebrews, as it says in your bulletin, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. And... Have you ever doubted what the Bible says? Have you ever doubted your salvation? Uh, You you have questions about Christianity and how all this thing works. And I I think sometimes, I I think most people do, uh, but we're afraid to admit it. I I, I think a lot of times when we come to Jesus as Lord and Savior, we decide that... We should know everything, uh, and that you know other Christians do. And so, if we asked questions, if, if we said that doesn't make sense, if if we say you know I'm wondering a little bit about my salvation, we, we feel like other people would look at us and and say, well How dare you? You know, the, the following Christ is a thing of confidence. It's it's something that uh, that we uh, take hold of, and we. We don't ever look back from that and as we look into the scripture today we're going to find somebody who asks questions somebody that we would kind of expect not to ask questions and it's interesting to see how jesus responds to them because that helps in how he would respond to us and then we also see what jesus says about those problems that we have and how he deals with it. So in Matthew chapter eleven, and when we read here, we're going to be starting in verse two. This is an interesting place in history. We're here at Christmas time, and at Christmas time it's actually the splitting of time. Before Jesus was born, it was known as BC. The year before Jesus was born would be one BC before Christ. The year Christ was born it would be A.D., which is Anna Domini, okay? Now, I used to remember it, I always called it after death, A.D., after death, but then I realized that didn't work because Jesus didn't die till you know, A.D. 33, so there's that span in between. So, finally, I came up with the way I would remember it is there's before Christ, and there's after the birth, okay? uh, After the birth. Anyway, uh, so that's the, the, the way I remember those, to try to keep those Straight, and I mention that because this comes into play a little bit and what haps, happens here in this portion of Scripture. Is some things that occurred before Christ and the things that occur after. So in Matthew chapter eleven, verses two and three, we're going to read about the story of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist has met Jesus. He's been preaching. He's in fact. He was a prophet who prophesied that the Christ was here. He said, he's coming and he is here. And then he baptized Jesus. And so uh, they, they knew each other. Uh, in, in reality, they were cousins. They probably had met before at other points of their life. But now we have John the Baptist, and he has been put in the prison, and he's having some second, second thoughts about Jesus being the Messiah. So the Scripture says, starting in verse 2, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word to his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? So here we have John the Baptist having doubts about Jesus being the Messiah. Now now catch this. He is the one who's been saying, He's the Messiah. He's the Messiah. He was there at the baptism and the Holy Spirit descended upon uh, Jesus like a dove. He saw all that. But now he is having doubts. You know, in reality, he's kind of like I would be as a leader or we would be as a Sunday school teacher, somebody who has been teaching or preaching in those areas, and then suddenly there's some doubts. And I can almost guarantee you most teachers and preachers would just shut up about it. We cannot show any weakness. We cannot show that we have any questions about the Bible or our faith. But John the Baptist has the courage to ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah? And I need to point out here that John the Baptist is having doubt. Doubt is different than unbelief. In fact, you kind of have to have belief in order to have doubt. Uh, Alistair McGrath writes this, and I quote, Unbelief is the decision to live your life as if there is no God. It's a deliberate decision to reject Jesus Christ and all that He stands for. But doubt is something quite different. Doubt arises within the context of faith. It's a wistful longing to be sure of things in which we trust. In other words, unbelief is looking from the outside going, I don't believe that, I don't believe that. Doubt is coming from the inside. It says, okay, I'm here. I I believe this at least to begin with, but I got some questions now that I'm here. It's said another way. John MacArthur puts it this way, and I quote, when the New Testament talks about doubt, whether you're talking about the Gospels or the Epistles, it primarily primarily focuses on believers. That is very important. It's as if you have to believe something before you can doubt it. You have to commit to it before you begin to question it. So there it again is this. The doubt means you are there, but now you have some questions about it. Let me be an example of a story. I'm going to tell you a story. It's a joke story. It actually has a punchline. If you're really intelligent, you'll get it. <laughs> uh, but it's one of those. I'll get to the end, and you'll go, I don't under. Oh, 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 okay, that's funny. Uh, but it goes like this. Once upon a time, there was a guy. He's a Texan, and he just bought him a brand new Corvette. He was very proud of it. And he was leaving town in his Corvette, and he pulled up to a traffic light. And why was there a little guy in a mini bike pulled up? Just puttering away, br- 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 and a guy, red helmet, yellow suspenders that pulled his pants way up high that showed his orange socks. And so he's sitting there, a little guy as a serious can be. And the Texan, he rolls down his window and he goes, "Nice mini bike there, son." And the little guy goes yeah, it's the best one in all of Texas. And he says, well, why do you say it's the best? He goes, because it's really, really fast. And the Texan says, well, how fast does it go? 20, 30 mile an hour? And he goes, I don't know. I don't have all the things that tell the speed. So uh, the Texan says, well, it probably can't go too fast. And the little guy goes, yeah, it could probably outrun your car. Well, the Texan was offended by that. He said, Son, your little mini bike cannot outrun my car. He said, yeah, I think I probably could outrun it. And the Texan said, I'll tell you what, son, if you really believe that, the light's going to change, and when it does, we'll race to the next town. There's a city limit about five miles away. And if you beat me there, you can have my brand new Corvette. But if I beat you, I get your little mini bike. And the little guy said, All right, mister, you're on. So he rolled up his window and he waited for the light to change. And the light changed, and the Texan thought he would just play a little bit with him. So he kind of took off the speed of the mini bike. He looked at his speedometer. Yeah, he's going 30 miles an hour. There's nothing there. So the Texan says, "Well, let me show him what he ha- what I have here." So he kind of swerves over at the mini bike, you know, to give him a little scare. And then he floors it and he takes off down the road. And he watches in his rearview mirror as the little guy in the mini bike fades into the distance. And he just laughs and said, "That young man was silly. You know, I'm going to hate taking that mini bike from him." Then he heard this little sound, and it was something like this. And the little minibike passed him up. Well, he was shocked. I mean, he looked at speed speedometer. He was going 60 mile an hour, and he goes, this can't be. So he said, I better get a little more serious about this. So he pushed on the gas, and he pulled it up to 90, 95 mile an hour. He caught the little guy in the minibike. He passed him. He looked in the rearview mirror as he faded into the distance. The town now is only about a mile and a half away, and he goes, there's no way a little minibike can catch me now. And then he heard this faint little sound and went something like this. on the little minibike passed him again. He was totally shocked and maybe a little bit worried, so he gave that Corvette all he could give it. He was flying down the road. He passed that minibike so fast it's as if the guy in the minibike was going backwards. And about the time he sees him fade into the distance, he can see the city light. The sign for the, you know, for the coming into the city there. Hundreds of, you know, a couple hundred yards away. And he goes, I've got him, be. I, he's not anywhere in sight. And then he heard this faint little sound. And he went, and the little mini bike passed him again. Well, they pulled into the town. And he went into a parking lot and the Texan just, put his head on the steer wheel. He knew he'd been beat. He just felt horrible about this. And the little guy in the minibike came and he knocked on the window and the Texan rolled the window down says, yes, son, I, I know, I know you, you won the race. And the guy in the minibike says, no, no, it's not that. He said, my suspenders are caught on your side mirror. Now, the Texan had a right to believe or to have unbelief when he saw that little mini bike, that the mini bike had any chance of beating him. But now that he's lived the experience, he does have a belief now, but yes, under circumstances, a mini bike can win it. Okay? But he has his doubts that that would ever happen again. And that's the kind of difference between having an unbelief and a doubt. You have to be in the experience in order to be doubting. I say all that because as we trust Jesus as Lord and Savior and sometimes we have doubts. And you know, in my experience with those who have doubts is usually they, they're saved. Okay, They're having genuine death because they're concerned. They've read something in Scripture that just didn't make sense or somebody has said something in a sermon or Sunday school and they go, mm, I wonder if I'm saved. And generally that is... it's, it's Generally, they are saved. I believe I believe if you, if you have that kind of concern, uh, you probably shouldn't have that kind of concern. I think what would concern me the more if I, I was the person who said, I prayed a prayer and I go to church and so I'm saved. I prayed a prayer when I was little. I said, Jesus, come into my heart. Now, I don't worry about There's no fruit in my life, nothing else, okay? It's just I did what I needed to do and I'm good. I, I, I think if the Holy Spirit puts some doubt in your heart and you're one of those people, that's something I would listen to. But how does doubt start? What's the anatomy of doubt? How how does it go? Well, first of all, doubt arises during difficult situations. For John the Baptist, he was in jail. He had angered the rulers of his day. That's why he was in jail. And so he's sitting in there and he's a little bit... Uh, dejected and worried uh, kind of like in the story of Elijah if you know the story of Elijah um, he uh, th- through God went and he took on the prophets of Baal and through God a great fire came down and burnt up the altar that was built everybody saw the power of God and uh, he was you, you know like On top of it all, it's like, you see the God I worship, the power and strength that he has. And so Elijah was on the high. And then right after that, a message comes to him. And it says, Jezebel the queen is not happy with you and what you did, and she's going to kill you. And he ran like a little kid, okay? (laughs) All of a sudden, he went from the great highs, and he has the doubts, okay? That doesn't look like a terrible, difficult situation, but it knocked him right off the high that he was. And then sometimes doubt companies unmet expectations. In Isaiah 61 verse 1, is talking about the future Messiah, which is what John the Baptist is talking about. And it says in that scripture, He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. Okay? So liberty and freedom. Now the problem is this crowd that he's preaching to, the Jewish people, they don't have those things. The Romans are ruling over them. And so they would look around at the Messiah going, Jesus isn't fitting this Messiah part up. He just, we don't see anything happen with the Romans. He's preaching something really different. Okay, he's not mounting up an army. And of course, John the Baptist is in prison. So expectations aren't being met. And that happens with us many times. We have expectations of what God should do. If, if we raise our family this way, this is how our kids will turn out. If we teach our Sunday school class this way, this is how the kids will respond to it. If we preach a message, these people will respond to that message, and then it doesn't happen. The expectations that we have aren't met. And then we go back and go, God, did I do something wrong? And then we have that doubt is plagued with a limited perception. You can't see the whole picture. Have you ever been one of the people who said, if I only knew then what I know now, and I am guilty of that. See, we sometimes judge our faith by our current circumstances and our feelings. But see, John the Baptist, he had no idea of the whole story. He's here with Messiah at the beginning of the Messiah on earth story, that that before Christ, after Christ's line that happened at his birth, He's just 33 years past that. Well, that sounds like a lot of time. 33 years? Well, in the span of our 2019 years from that point, his perspective is very, very small compared to our perspective that we had today. See, God was ushering in a totally different kind of kingdom, and John the Baptist couldn't see all that at that moment. So what's the answer to doubt? Well, first of all, we need to confront doubt with biblical revelation. See, when John the Baptist's disciples brought the question to Jesus, he answered them. We're about to read Jesus' answer. Okay? And the answer comes from Isaiah chapter 35 and chapter 61. You won't, this isn't a direct quote, direct scripture. It's just, if you go in, you're going to find, because those scriptures are talking what the Messiah will look like, what the Messiah will do when he comes. And Jesus says this, starting in verse 4. And Jesus answered them, go and tell John, what you hear and see the blind receive their sight the lame walk leopards are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them so Jesus's answer to them says you want proof okay here's proof John knows he's been preaching what the Messiah looks like and here is what's happening and so he named off some things you know dead raising to life that's a great big thing we, we read that in the Old Testament, okay? It kind of happened. I don't remember seeing anything in the Old Testament about somebody blind being able to see. I've seen the other way in the Old Testament when a, an army was blinded. But, uh, we, we, uh, find in this that there's some things that sporadically happen in the Old Testament, but Jesus is saying, look what's happening now. These things are happening now. The Old Testament said these would accompany the Messiah. And then secondly, Jesus said the, that we follow his words and example. In fact, he says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. It goes on and says here in the scripture. So one thing is to see the scripture, and the other one is to follow his words and example. So Jesus kind of finished says, listen, if people are not offended by me, they're going to be for me. And if you're for me, you're going to follow what I say and do. So there's two examples there of the, of the doubt that you have. Follow the Bible, and Jesus says, and follow what I do. Now, John the Baptist's doubts had just been revealed to Jesus. It just been ex- exposed. The disciples of John the Baptist go away. And now we get to see what Jesus really thinks about John the Baptist because his disciples aren't there. He's going to talk behind their back and say, that stupid John the Baptist. Is he? No, he's not going to say that. Jesus is going to end up affirming John the Baptist. He says in Matthew eleven eleven, just read the first part of it. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is arisen no greater than John the Baptist. Wow. <laughs> That's a big Wow. The only thing from John the Baptist is, he's not sure you're the Messiah. And he goes away and goes, that's one of the greatest prophets of our time. Well, well, first of all, thank you, Jesus, for the respect. If I was John the Baptist, I would thank you, Jesus, for that respect. I don't feel like the greatest prophet of all time. Okay, And you know what? I would agree with him. I've I've, I've read about some other people in in the Bible, some great patriarchs. You know, Moses and the things that he accomplished. And I mentioned Elijah, and there's Elisha and Daniel. There's some great people that when I look at their lives, I mean, Daniel, you, I mean, Daniel was human. I know he sinned, but we don't find any, any sins worth mentioning in the whole Bible about Daniel. And yet we're going, John the Baptist is the greatest? That doesn't make sense. But it kind of makes sense when we're back on that timeline. This is an important time. For hundreds of years... There's been prophets going, the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming, and they're all important. The Messiah's coming. But here, the prophet John the Baptist, the preacher, goes, he's arrived. He's here. In fact, he's right here. You can see him in the flesh. I'm going to dip him in the water and bring him back out. So, he's the greatest because... He is the accumulation of everything that was predicted that was coming. If you can imagine that somebody was coming to, you know, different people are saying, somebody important is coming to Grace Baptist. Somebody important is coming to Grace Baptist. Somebody coming to Grace Baptist. And then I came in one day and said, I got good news for you. Billy Graham is going to give our message today. And you go, wow! (laughs) And I would have the privilege of doing that. That's what John the Baptist was. That's why he's the greatest, because at that moment, he got to finish off all the prediction. But you, the Scripture goes on. If you look ahead, it goes, and yet, and yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than me. So Jesus is his double take. John the Baptist is greater, but there's people greater than him. What? <laughs> what do you mean? He's the greatest, and yet there's people that are least in him greater than? Than him? See, while John the Baptist was the, was the climax of all the prophets, yet his position in history prevented him from being able to tell everybody everything that needs to be known. You see, before Christ, up to this moment, there was an incomplete picture of the Messiah. Jesus comes and he fulfills that. But Jesus showed us firsthand how that would be demonstrated. Remember, already the, the people who study scriptures have an idea of what a Messiah is going to look like, and Jesus doesn't look like that. So Jesus had to come and live the earth to show this is what the scripture really meant when it said it. This is what the Messiah really looked like. And so he lives his life. So listen to this. Everybody after John the Baptist has a better picture. Everybody, we have a better picture in the Old Testament, a better picture in John the Baptist because John the Baptist is going to lose his life before Jesus it loses his. So John the Baptist doesn't have a complete picture. So we are smarter or better off than John the Baptist. Because when we tell the story, we can tell the complete story. You have the people in the in the Old Testament, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, and around John the Baptist time, Jesus is coming and Jesus is here. But we have Jesus is coming, Jesus was here, Jesus is here, and Jesus will be here forever because Jesus died on the cross to conquer death. We've got the full picture and the full story. So congratulations. When you share that gospel, when you share that story, you're greater than John the Baptist. Well, like Jesus and John the Baptist, Jesus continues on and tells, listen, there's a message to share, but it's not going to be easy. In Matthew 11:12, 12, he goes on, he says, from the days of John the Baptist till now the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violence, take it by force, for all the prophets and the law uh, prophesied until John and you, if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So in this latter portion of Scripture, he says you're looking for a prophet, somebody who's going to precede Jesus. And if you'll believe it, John the Baptist is the one. That's what Jesus was saying. But Jesus was saying even before that, people who preach the Word sometimes suffer. To preach the kingdom of heaven, we will experience opposition. So Jesus pointed that out. He sent out the disciples in chapter 10. and He says, I'm sending you out, but you're going to face difficulties. John the Baptist, as we've said, he's facing difficulties. Jesus' ministry is about to face a lot of difficulties. And if we go and we decide to follow Christ, we are going to face difficulties. And because of that, you know, the tendency is go, I'm going to walk this line. I'm just not going to stir up the water. I don't want to make people mad. So if I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to pick my moments where I will speak about him, but I don't want to do anything overboard. I don't want to speak out loud. I don't want to be like, John the Baptist, he was thrown in jail. I don't want to be like, Jesus, he was crucified and died. You know, to be thy disciples, they lost all their lives preaching the gospel. That is not it for me. I think I will just kind of ride it out and be quiet. But Jesus even speaks to that. He goes on. And he says, starting in verse 16, But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. So in this portion of Scripture, Jesus says, What's it like? It's like his generation. This generation is looking at us and says, We... Play some really happy music for you. We had a party, and, and you wouldn't party with us. You just kind of went, mm, that's not my thing. <laughs> and, then, and then we were sad. We had somebody die. But we heard you Christians talking about death. You're going, oh, my uncle died, but I'm going to see him again someday. So this isn't a sad moment. This is a happy moment. We'll see, we're going to celebrate his life. And so the world's looking, going, you Christians got it backwards. You got it ba- You won't party with us, and you won't cry with us. What is wrong with you? And because they misunderstand, it goes on there, and it says in that portion of Scripture, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he is a demon. The son of man, Jesus talking about himself, came eating and drinking and said, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So Jesus goes on and said, People got it backwards. And then they look at John the Baptist. He lived a simple life. He lived out in the desert. He kind of was his own person out there. And people went, That guy out there, he's really weird. He's probably demon possessed. You better watch out for him. And Jesus came totally different. Jesus came, he was the people person. He sat with everybody. He talked with everybody. He didn't care what your reputation was like. He wanted to chat with you and to share with you. And if he sat down and had a meal and he had a drink and he was just part of the group, and people looked at Jesus and went, He's a glutton and a drunkard. What's his problem? He's with people all and look at the people he's hanging with. Oh my. We say all that to say there isn't living that life. If people want to find fault with you in your Christian life, they will find fault. They're going to find it. And so that's not an excuse to hide behind. Okay? I, 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 I promise you, if you're walking that perfect Christian line at your workplace, somebody behind your back has found, they've found a fault in you. <laughs> they, they found it. If they can find it in Jesus, they'll find it in you. Ours are a little bit easier to see, by the way. And it ends that portion of scripture that said wisdom is justified by her deeds. And that's just a way of saying wisdom, living white, being wise, living right, is the right way. Okay? This isn't an excuse to go, well, people are going to think naughty things about me. I might as well do naughty things. <laughs> and Jesus said, no, 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 no. <laughs> no. Wisdom doing the smart thing is doing the right thing. Okay? It, we still need the life that God calls us to to live. There is value to that. But if he's just saying, there is value, that's the right thing, the world is not going to say that about you. So we have an explanation here that, that Jesus says about Christianity. And it's totally different from all the other religions of the world. It's so much better than those. And we're going to skip some scriptures just because of time. Uh, that, that the whole chapter 11 is Jesus talking to his disciples and it leads into talking about the, the corruption of the world and the things that are happening. But Jesus sums it up in Matthew 11:28 through 30 and he says this, Come to me, all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus first comes when he says, if you are le- labor who are labored and, and heavy laden, okay? In other words, you've got a heavy burden on you. And and I think we all face that sometime in our lives. We face heavy burdens. Certainly the people of Jesus' day would have been facing burdens like we do. They had the same issues and and things and problems. I think they probably had a little bit more burdens because they were still trying to live under the law. Remember, Jesus hasn't died on the cross and risen from the sin. They're living under the law. And when they break the law, which they will, uh, they have to bring a sacrifice, a yearly sacrifice that is offered up, the atonement for their sins, the law, as we studied, as we've gone through uh, some of the writings of Paul, we see that the law is good because it's there to show you you can't live a perfect life. We cannot keep the law. We fall short. So when Jesus came, he said he didn't come to throw out that law. Okay, He came to fulfill it. So Jesus came, he did what no other person could do. He lived the law perfectly. And he did not deserve to die because he lived it the way it should be lived. So because he lived it perfectly, he sacrificed himself for us, we who fall short of that. So that's just Jesus saying there. He says, I will take that and bear it upon you, and I will give you rest. You don't have to worry about that part of it. And because I can take my your sins upon you. That's the hard part. I can do the easy part. I can take the struggles and the burdens that you have daily and take that up upon myself also. You see, in contrast, Jesus is on this side of history. He's on our side because he paid that ultimate price. And because we're on this side of, the, of history and we have that knowledge, we know that we can put that weight on Jesus. Now the scripture talks about the the yoke. Yoke was put on the most time you would hear in the scripture oxen. It could have been another animal that could pull it. Uh, sometimes there was two of them. When there was two, the idea of having two is usually you had an older and a younger oxen, okay, or horse or cows if you're going to have them pulled. okay. Just by fault, one is older, one is younger, okay. Uh, maybe they were twins, but in most cases they're not. Okay? So one's older, one's younger. The older has supposedly been around and experienced plowing more. He's been the one the master has been hitting the whip with, so to speak, and getting used to this noise is turn left, this noise is turn right, this is whoa, all those things. And then a younger one joins it, and the younger one's just there, okay? And the younger one is, he helps pull, but does he help pull? Yeah, I guess sometimes he does. But sometimes he's actually a detriment. Yeah, I'm sure the older one will go, would you just, you know, will you help me out here? I'm going this way. You're trying to go that way. This is really difficult. Okay? But eventually, the younger one, as he matures, he learns what the master says. And he learns the noises to turn left and to turn right. And one day, the older one isn't there anymore. And the younger one is not the younger one anymore. He looks over in the plow next to him and it's a young nipper snapper ox (laughs) It doesn't have his head screwed on straight and he's going, I've got to train this guy. But that's the idea of this ox. Jesus is the one who knows. God's voice is what he hears. And so when Jesus is talking about this, he's saying, follow me little young oxen. (laughs) Follow me, okay? I understand. I understand I'm going to have to do most of the pulling. I understand that I'm going to go this way and you're going to go that way, but we're going to go this way. (laughs) I understand all those things, okay? And follow me because there are people coming after you who need to see and know what I know through you. So you see where this leads us? As we follow Christ. We need to understand that there are people we need to bring with us. And Christ ultimately bears our burdens. But you know, people don't always know that. So sometimes we're there to help them bear the burdens. But ultimately, we want them to come to the conclusion that with Christ's help, their burdens can be borne. You know what I'm saying? They get to the point where they go, I don't need that person to help me anymore. I've got this. God, you and I've got this. I know my left. I know my right. I know when to stop. I'm good. Send me somebody to slow me down, but that I can help. The weight of the law that God put out there could not be more on our arms. So Jesus came and he paid the price. It's a weight that only Christ can bear. And yet so much, so many times in our flesh, we try to do all that on our own. We kind of forget about Christ and we kind of say, "Uh, I think I've got this. Ian Thomas puts it this way, and I quote, It's what paralyzes the activity of the church on earth today. In defiance of God's word, God's mind, God's will, and God's judgment, men and women everywhere are prepared to dedicate to God what God condemns, the energy of the flesh. There is nothing quite so nauseating or pathetic as the flesh trying to be holy. (laughs) To sum it up, we're trying to do what Christ is meant to do. we give to Jesus the full weight of our sins and he gives us the full pardon of our sin. So you see, he's obeyed the very law that we couldn't obey. And Jesus is essentially saying, learn what it means to be my disciple. If you learn to be my disciple, you will find rest for your soul. That's what the Scripture's saying. As your relationship with me comes together, then the problems that you have in life will be solved. See, a lot of times, we try to solve the problems of life. We bypass God. He just says, work on my, our relationship and you'll find that other things will be okay. There's a missionary. You probably recognize his name. is Hudson Taylor. He was a missionary to the Chinese. And As a missionary, he worked hard for God, but he eventually came to the point of his life when he realized, I'm doing a lot of this in my own flesh. I have a lot of worries, a lot of doubts, a lot of problems, and I I need to give that up. I need to give it to God. And this is what somebody wrote about him after he came to that conclusion and allowed God to work in his life. It says this, He was a joyous man now, a bright, happy Christian, I thought all missionaries were. He had been a toiling burdened one before with not much rest for his soul. It was a rest in Jesus now and letting him do the work which made all the difference. Whenever he spoke in meetings after that, a new power seemed to flow from him and in the practical things of life, a new peace possessed him. How was his faith strengthened? Not by striving after faith but by resting on the faithful one. You see, he came to the realization that he needed Christ. So here's the invitation from Christ. Okay, this is is what Christ is saying. First of all, you got problems and difficulties in your life, you're having doubts. Maybe, first of all, you need to repent of your sins. We all sin. And we need to come to God, and we need to ask God for his forgiveness, and we need to turn from our sin and run from that. That's a great place to start because that could be our problem. But maybe that's not it. Secondly, we need to renounce ourselves and stop trying to go around the problem and, and just say, I need to work on my relationship with God. Okay? I, that if I'm having these problems with God, I want to focus on you. I want to just give you the praise and give you the problems, give you all those things. I just want to learn all about you. And when our eyes are focused on God, everything else, all those things, you know, those songs says, and the things of earth will uh, fade away, um, as it says. And then thirdly, rest in Christ. Come to get to know the one who loves you, who is willing to carry your burden, who really has concern and wants to see your soul to be at rest and at peace with Him. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your love and concern, thank you that even when we doubt and we have questions we know the behind the scenes story you see beyond that, you see who we are and you see our potential and so you're there and you want to help us through that situation but our questions and our doubt don't affect our relationship with you from your perspective It only is from ours. And so help us be able to see past that and realize if there's something going on, it just means we get to need to know you better. We pray and as he sings in Jesus' name, amen.